Yo, and welcome into week 12 of pre-gaming the SEC, brought to you by Walk On Sports Bistro online. It's walk-ons.com to find a location near you. Chris Doring, Jacob Hester here with you for eh, about an hour or so, depending on how many beers we ask you to hold and how many last calls that we have, but glad to be back with you here, CD. Yeah, man, it's good to be back with you as well, and uh, it, it's kind of a kind of a down week as we look ahead. I know we'll 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 take a look back for one last time, but uh, I, I I hate this week, man. And it, it used to be that every SEC team was playing some group of five or FCS opponent. We've minimized the FCS games to some degree. We actually have some meaningful conference games head to head, so it's better than it used to be. But I, I still think we could do more for this. You know. This what what do you call it? Penultimate weekend, I guess, the second to last weekend on the, the regular season schedule from college football. Yeah, it's been one that we've talked a lot about. It's you know, SEC versus either an FCS opponent or a directional school, or sometimes both. Sometimes it's an FCS directional school. So it's not my favorite week. I'm glad that we do have some matchups, including a matchup like we thought was going to maybe decide the SEC East, and we can get into which matchup when we get to the pre-gaming portion of the show it's a little bit better but it still like just go away like i don't need to see any sec school play an fcs school no uh, we we at least can tolerate some of these games early in the season but when it gets sandwiched in between conference games at the end of the year before rivalry weekend it's like really wasting our time and so uh i think we're still going to see more of these games going away i do think with the expanded college football playoff coming up here in the near future with the you know, addition of Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC with the likelihood of nine conference games being played. We're going to minimize some of these, but I, I still think it's hard to justify the, the television markets, television partners paying for games like this to put on. Yeah. And more importantly, the fans having to be charged premium to come to a, a game like this. So uh, these used to be what we'd call in, in LSU territory, Tiger Vision games, because yes, you had to pay for these on pay-per-view. Yeah. You paid $39.99 to watch LSU go against, uh, you know, whoever it was. I don't make me state or hey, someone in state. You know, what's funny about that, Hess, is like you're talking about these type of games. My catch against Kentucky in 93 was a Gator Vision game. It was a pay-per-view only game. It wasn't on. <laughs> you're talking about a game that would either right nowadays probably be on ESPN or, you know, at least the SEC network wasn't even being shown anywhere but pay-per-view. And I think that's what made, you know, McHubert's call so iconic was that most people heard it, experienced it through his eyes as opposed to actually watching it through their own. So that explains why a couple of years ago when I'm trying to, you know, create a, a gif of, of you catching that ball, like I had to do a deep, dark web search to yeah. find it. Not, not okay. much uh, out there. And, and the, the footage you do find is very grainy and pretty high def. You know, it's that 28 looks like it could be literally any number. I agree. <laughs> but hey, I'm not here to talk about because I played in the same same situation. My boys watched the, the highlights I'm like, Dad, I can barely tell what that 18 says. So we're in this boat together but uh, let's go ahead let's start passing out some beers to hold because here on this show it can be good it can be bad it can be a little bit indifferent but my first hold my beer is going to be a good hold my beer and that glo- uh, goes to clark lee the vanderbilt head coach the neck roll wearing fullback having former vanderbilt 2030 iso blocking clark lee i love it Kentucky's a team that you and I, man, we 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 are pretty high on coming into the the um the season here. We've been high on Kentucky for three or four years, and we can get to the Kentucky portion and the loss that they had, but I have to celebrate Vanderbilt as well. Their first road victory, I believe, since 2017 against Tennessee. They had look, they had won a game in, in the SEC in a while, just home or away. That was 26 straight games they had lost in the SEC before winning that one. I mean, that's that that says everything you need to know. And you go and you beat a ranked Kentucky team. It wasn't fluky. You were in the game the entire way. You didn't have a bunch of double, triple, reverse passes that kept you in the game. You went out there. You played your brand of football, and you won a game. How could it not be Clark Lee and Vanderbilt? Congratulations. This program is now four and six. They have a better record than Texas A&M, who mm-hmm. sits there at three and seven. They have as many SEC victories as that team. I'm not picking on A&M. But what the expectations for AM were coming into the season to what Vanderbilt is now, 
congratulations. That program has life for the first time in a very long time. And now they can build upon a road victory against a ranked Kentucky team. And now you can sell that. Now you can recruit to that. Now you can say, look how close we are. You can come here and yeah. you can be the thing that puts us over the top in multiple SEC games. So Clark Lee, Vanderbilt, shout out, hold my beer. I like that a lot. And I'm going to, I'm going to dovetail off of that because the first hold my beer for today is for the quarterback, Mike Wright. He literally was on the sideline drinking beers and had to say, Hey, hold this for a second. I'm going to go in here and, and take care of the team <laughs> while AJ Swan has gone down. This was a guy that started the season as a representative with us in, in Atlanta at SEC media days back in July, began the season week zero with an amazing, you know, uh, a debut of, of, you know, putting up yards through the air on the ground. Um, a guy we were all really excited about wearing the, yeah. the captain C on his Jersey. And then next thing you know, he's being benched and having to, to wear a headset on the side. Yeah. And, uh, he didn't, he didn't sulk. He didn't transfer. He showed the qualities that made him a captain elected by his, his teammates. And when his number was called, he was ready to go. And he made, uh, some tremendous plays in that game, both again with his arm and legs against Kentucky. Um, uh, long touchdown runs. I mean, this guy's an explosive, exciting player to watch. And I think you got to find a way to to continue to have him on the field, not only because of what his he can do from a from a uh, the exploit standpoint, but also I would say just the leadership aspect as well. So he was on the sideline. Hold my hold my headphones. I'm gonna go in here and take yeah. care of you boys. And he definitely did that. Yeah, and now, like we said, like Vanderbilt actually has some life to them. They're finally like building things on that campus. They have a head coach in Clark Lee that is passionate about the program because he's been in the program. He's a player in that program, so he understands. He understands the difficulties uh, of that job and, and kind of what it comes with. But he also he probably has a pretty good idea of how he can navigate around some of those difficulties because he has been in it. So I'm excited about Vanderbilt. You and I, we both enjoy catching up with Clark Lee. We had a yeah. chance to do it in Destin. We did it at SEC media days. And I think he has a great vision for this program. So to me, he's like the perfect person for this job because we do know obviously the difficulties they have there in Nashville. Big Terp, what they got uh, Florida this weekend and then Tennessee in their final game of the season. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So likely going to finish with four wins uh, on the year, but that is that's an upgrade. That's an over the posted total. And uh, for my next to hold my beer, it's going to be the negative. It's going to be on the other side. There's going to be a couple teams that I think have been real embarrassments this season. Outside of Texas A&M, what Kentucky has done this year is an embarrassment. I'm personally embarrassed because I predicted them to go to 11 and one this year. I predicted them to have a huge game in Lexington this weekend against the yep. uh, Georgia Bulldogs. Many of us thought that it could help decide the SEC Eastern Division Championship. It will not at this point, as that's already been clinched. But if not now, win for Kentucky. I mean, it, it, you're talking about returning a quarterback that was the starter last year that many people feel like is going to be the, a top 10 pick, maybe the first quarterback overall drafted a running back that was all SEC last year, experienced defensive players. Like you had everything to be excited about and a schedule that I thought was pretty favorable, Hester. Yeah. And you go out there and you lose not only to Vanderbilt, but to South Carolina, two of the three worst teams in the conference and very easily could have lost to Missouri had your punter not made a, a huge play late in that football game. I, I'm, I'm frustrated. I know Coach Stoops is frustrated, but I, I – my hold my beer in in this goes to the Kentucky Wildcats for you know really reverting back to what most people think of Kentucky and that is a, yeah. a team that's susceptible to losing games like this to Vanderbilt. And you and I fought the good fight, man. We're out there like spreading the word for the last couple of years. This is different. This is not the same old Kentucky that everyone grew up watching this summer when Coach Cal and Coach Stoops kind of got into a little. Uh, you know, a little spat because he called it a basketball school and, and, you know, coach Stoops like, wait a minute, hold on. We've done some pretty nice things here. Yeah. And they kind of went back and forth. I was all for coach Stoops. I'm like, Hey, they changed the narrative a little bit. I mean, they now can be considered a football school as well. And it's a giant step back and they've been taking so many steps forward CD. That's, that's really where it hurts if you're a Kentucky yeah. fan, because you felt like you, you got away from 
games like this. You you had gotten to a point where if you lose to Georgia, maybe a hot Tennessee, maybe you go on the road, lose to LSU or Alabama, but you're competitive. It's like, okay, it's just continuing the process. But now with some of the losses, I throw South Carolina loss in there too. Like I thought they were at a point where that doesn't happen. Yeah. And certainly this loss, now you've taken a giant leap back when you've only really taken steps forward over the last couple of years. Yep. Now it, it, it's a it's a frustrating game for frustrating season for all of Big Blue Nation. And yeah. it makes me wonder, we can get into this as we go on, but do you feel like there are limitations at places like Lexington, at places like Oxford, where no matter what you do, no matter who you hire, no matter who you bring in, there's only so much that you're going to be able to accomplish. Right. Yeah, we can certainly get into that later on in the show because there's some openings as we know here in the sec will there be more openings that's something we can get into but let's go ahead and get into some last call big turf where you want to start all right let's start with tennessee uh we spent last week on the show talking about did georgia give people the formula to stop this tennessee offense and we were talking about how good this missouri defense under blake baker has been coming off 13 points we were i think all three of us were on the under and tennessee covered that under by themselves I was not on the under, by the way. I took Tennessee. That was my lone win of the, uh, of the oh, week. I, think. I was. Because, I mean, it, it, it hit every time. The Missouri under hit every time but once this year. And yeah. I was like, ah, Tennessee's going to score a bulk of the 50-whatever points it was. But Missouri scored 24 in their own right. And then Tennessee's like, ha, uh, we're going to score 66 points by ourselves and laugh at me. Yeah. 38, 38 unanswered points that Jalen Hyatt touched down where they hit him in the backfield. You know, we, we've been looking at so many different spread formations and, and creating space and the creativity yep. in that way. And what do they do? Alex Golish and, and Josh Heupel hide Jalen Hyatt as an insert uh, behind the line of scrimmage yep. and create a, a situation where they, they, they can cause confusion and man coverage. Hyatt, again, as he's been all year, like, I don't even know if Hyatt can run routes. I'm not sure he's a good <laughs> receiver. But the guy has a ton of touchdowns and he's wide open all the time. He needs to be very thankful to uh, that coaching staff for what they do to get him open. Yeah, I know we don't practice social distancing anymore, but it feels like he does during the games. Yeah. Because he's yeah. by himself. He is by like the every by time. Now, credit to him. Like, you still got to go out there. You got to catch. You got to finish. And so I'm not taking anything away from him, but they've done a really nice job of game planning. When they lost Tillman, they still found a way to game plan him open every game every drive it seemed like every route so. yeah he he, had, uh, he never had a hundred yard game in the first two years of his career and he's averaging 111 this year he's gone over 105 times he's dude's averaging 111 a game and 1.5 touchdowns so that, that that's a whole my beer right there he's uh, averaging 1.5 touchdowns a game yeah he's got 15 in 10 games wow <laughs> that'll play yeah. play yeah that dog um, will hunt as they say <laughs> but yeah so tennessee drops 66 so let's go tennessee uh last call um, and then we can get into Missouri if we want, but we got to spend some more time on Tennessee here. 66-24 final CD, like you said, 38 unanswered to close it out. I would say, you know, the thing that was most important to me has was watching to see what their fight and resiliency would look like after being right. embarrassed the previous week against Georgia. As we talked about the, the, the blueprint for how you beat Tennessee being out there, how would they respond? How would they play up front against uh, a, a defensive line that has been one of the more productive in the conference? They were number one in tackle for loss. They were number four in the conference when it comes to sacking the opposing quarterback. Missouri has some players in that front seven, and Tennessee did a nice job of, of protecting Hendon Hooker better than they did, it did against Georgia and allowed those receivers to get open, of which there are many that are, are providing large you know, contributions this year in the passing game. Yeah, it was really nice if you're a Tennessee fan to see them bounce back, like you said, CD, after a very tough loss, a build-up loss, a, a game in which you were the number one team in the country, kind of going against the current standard of college football. And obviously you fall well short in that game. How are you going to bounce back? We were, you know, At least I was. I was dabbing this as you know, sleepy Saturday. Like that's what I was tabbing this, this week as because you had an opportunity to, you know, maybe not show up. And there's some teams that we worried about in the SEC, maybe not showing up. Tennessee was not one of those teams, certainly in the second half, Hinden hooker got back on track. You saw them do some nice things in the run game. They ran for 264 yards, Hyatt McCoy, they stepped back up and like, you're still waiting, like Tillman, somebody that if he gets fully healthy, like you can have him get to a point where he might be your third receiver, and that's an all-conference type guy. 
And so, like, they might have even more weapons by the end of this deal and if they get into the college football playoff. And so, Tennessee is going to be fine. They show that they can bounce back against a Missouri team that had played fantastic defense all throughout the SEC slate. And for Missouri, like, I know no fan of Missouri is going to be like, what are you talking about? We lost 66 to 24. In that first half, I think you showed that you're not as far off from being in games like this. Now, you still got to find the depth, and you have to find a four-quarter team. It's going to take time, but you're not that far away. You took the number one team in the country, Georgia, to the brink. You had them as nervous as anybody's had them this year. For a half, you were down at half, what was it, 28-17 at halftime. It wasn't a game that got out of hand. You were in that game, okay? Second half didn't go your way at all, but you're not that far off. You're four and six. You got to go out there. You got to win a couple of games to get to a bowl game. But I don't think Missouri and their fan base should panic because Drink has that team still in position to compete and they're going to be just fine. Got to go get some more bodies. Maybe they can hit the transfer portal and have success there. Maybe they can wrap up, you know, Blake Baker. Maybe he can stay, continue to build a chemistry with that defense, but you're not far away. Do you feel like Brady Cook is the answer? Going forward to next year, you think you've seen enough from him improvement I played, wise? I thought he played okay in this game. Did, I think he did. What did you think about it? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought he made enough plays in this game. Uh, I, I, what was it? 215, 220 yeah, yards, something around the there. The biggest thing, though, Hess, is eliminating the the big turnover. That was what that plagued him in the first half of the year. You know, you have some yeah. some turnovers, some pick sixes. I mean, things that you just can't you can't have if you're a middle of the road SEC team trying to compete with talent that's better than you. Uh, I think he's done a nice job of minimizing that. And like you said, for a half, they gave Tennessee all they wanted. And they're they're just deficient talent at this point. Drink, given that extension here recently, um, partly for where they are right now and, and what they've been able to do with some good recruiting classes, partly because of you needing that that job security, um, you know, to go out and recruit and to bring in better talent that you need to further close the gap between a lot of the teams in the conference and where you are. I mean, Missouri's a team to me, and I know we spent a lot of time on these two teams, but they're a team to me that could really do some damage in the portal. I mean, I think it's a spot where you're playing in the SEC. You're kind of where you're located. I know Arkansas is not terribly far away, but you're in a spot that maybe you weren't able to get that player out of high school, but you can say, hey, do you want to play in the SEC? Yeah. Hey, do you want to play in the conference that has the most guys in the NFL? Do you want to play in a conference that's only adding with Oklahoma and Texas? Like whatever you're, you know, you're, selling like obviously i think there's something that's valuable there so i think although in in high school recruiting you want to create your roster we've heard from coaches that's where they want to get most of their guys from but let's also call it like it is like missouri's not a team that's highly successful they're 59th currently in the country they're behind georgia tech who doesn't have a coach they're behind auburn who doesn't have a coach they're behind colorado who doesn't have a coach right Nebraska, who doesn't have a coach. They're behind all those teams. So that's not where you're the most successful. You can go get players from there, but I would sell the hell out of, hey, complain the SEC. You're from yeah. St. Louis. Maybe you went to a Big Ten team and it didn't work out. Maybe you, wh- whatever, complain the SEC. I think that's what they have to do to be able to compete. And certainly if you want to compete as soon as next year. That's one of the things that Kentucky's done. I mean, that's what's yeah. helped them over the last yeah. few years. The, the Maybe the first that I can think about is the kid from LSU that transferred the uh, Kelvin Joseph. Yeah. Kelvin Joseph. Like when you have big time players, fat, all right. Yeah, yeah that's true. It, it is. Yeah. There's when there's big time players that choose your program. That's why I thought the Luther burden signing was such a big deal. You know, the, what that signaled to the rest yeah. of the country, what that signaled to other kids in high school that are coming out in that class and, and this year's class and beyond that, that legitimizes your program. That takes that 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 causes folks to take notice, and I think, you know, that there is the ability that Coach Drink will be able to sell, you know, the proximity to to St. Louis, to Kansas City, and playing in the SEC, and the tangible proof of improvement throughout the year as a good reason why you know some of the top folks from that part of the country might want to stay at home yep. and, and go to uh, to Missouri. All right, so we spent a lot of time on Tennessee and Mizzou. We spent a lot of time on Vanderbilt and Kentucky to start the show. Let's move on. We can go LSU-Arkansas. We can go Alabama-Ole Miss. Right, let me be a homer. Let's go LSU and Arkansas. LSU wins 13-10. to 10. It was a game in which you probably could have guessed the way it was going to play out. That's why the spread was a spread. Vegas is Vegas for a reason. Those buildings didn't build themselves, but – 
this was a game and we've CD, you and I've played in, in these type of games a, a million times. Like for whatever reason, you just know it's going to be close. That's what this game was. Arkansas had had a really bad loss the week before, but you still, we knew Arkansas because of the way we knew about them in the preseason and the A&M game, you know, obviously that game is a game that they probably felt like they should have won the Liberty game. Uh, um, no, three, four times in the season, we felt like they probably had a chance to win. They just couldn't finish it. So they were five and four, but we still knew they had players. LSU coming in off the emotion of the Alabama win. You go on the road, it's snowing, it's cold, whatever. But they found a way. And LSU found a way, but more importantly, Harold Perkins found a way to beat the Arkansas Razorbacks on Saturday. It was an ugly game, certainly on both sides of the offense, but LSU's defense and Harold Perkins did enough to clinch the SEC West. It was the ultimate trap game, right? We were all worried about, you know, the letdown factor after the big win the previous weekend over Alabama, about how close you are to getting the, the trip to the Atlanta secured. Easily could have gone the, the way of, of uh, Arkansas, um, but they, they found a way to win. And we've been celebrating over the last couple of weeks the improvement of Jaden Daniels. This, the storyline here was all about the defense and, and Matt House and his ut yeah. utilization of some really talented athletes on that side of the ball, first and foremost being number 40, as you mentioned. like His usage the last couple of weeks, how they've been able to put him in that role to allow him to spy on mobile quarterbacks, to use his athleticism basically as a hunter, to <laughs> see the opposing quarterbacks run and have yeah. – it looks like a lion out there just running foot running antelope down in the I mean he he made a guy that was on the the anchor on the best four by one team yeah. in all of the country look like he was running in quicksand last yeah. week. Yeah. 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 I, I didn't even know what to say about it. Like yeah. and then he comes off the edge and he looks like Von Miller out there with with the Fast ability to bend and run full speed while doing so. Yeah. Like in, in a couple of plays, C D he was lined up as a nickel Sam. Yeah. Like, yeah. Who is this human? Is he yeah. a human? Is he an yeah. alien? Like what, what is going on here? But credit to the coaching staff, Matt house for finding ways to plug those guys into positions that will best suit their skill set. That's what a coach's job is, right? Is to find, find a way to feature what make your individual players and the unit as a whole, the best that they can possibly be. And Perkins was, you know, young, largely underutilized in the first half of the season, but over the last couple of weeks, he has been put into some positions to not only play, but to be a true impact player, a difference maker in these ball games. My last point on LSU, I want to throw this question to you. LSU defensively, now offense, they had some issues in this game. It did not look like, look like the offense we had seen over the last three weeks, but defensively, I think for them, it is so key for their success that they have an NFL guy calling their defense in Matt House because in the NFL, it's hard to have a trap game. Like if you get beat in the NFL, you just get beat a lot of times, yeah. right? Because that team was better than you that day. And it's not like a trap game situation where you didn't show up and have a game plan because there's so many talented players in the NFL. Even the worst team has first round picks. They have guys that are making multi-million dollars. And so for them to have an NFL defensive coordinator, he knows that every week the game plan he used the week before kind of gets balled up and thrown in the trash. Yeah. And you got to start over. And they have a guy, in in my opinion, in Matt House that is doing that. And so he's not even really focused on maybe the record or what success or failures you've had. He's just literally watching the tape, coming up with a game plan to stop what he sees on tape and not what the outside noise is. How about Matt House in terms of, of his career path, having been at Kentucky, knowing that he wanted to you know, taste the NFL, going to Kansas City, and then realizing maybe his best path to getting – a head coaching job was coming back to college, you know, it, it being able to adjust personal versatility, versatility of his game planning, uh, watching just, you know, I, I, I yeah, you know what made me take notice the first time of Matt house was the game plan against Mississippi state, how they were able to limit what, what, um, Will Rogers was able to do and, and taking away the running back, forcing, forcing him to hold the football longer so that the pressure could get home watching the yeah. adjustments in that old miss game after the first quarter seeing how you know it just has such a good feel for what his team needs that's why i think i'm most excited about when i always start looking forward at the sec championship is these two defensive coordinators these two defensive staffs i think it's it's got a chance to be a really low scoring football game 
an yeah. old school SEC championship type game that's going to have match wits of, of two really good game planning staffs putting really talented and athletic football players in position to to be featured. Look, as someone who's going to be at that game, going to be covering that game, as old school as I am, sign me up for all of that. Yeah, I, I would love a good 17-14 SEC championship game. Yeah. I, I, I know that a lot of our listeners probably that are used to seeing like 37-34 now, but you can remember it's not that long ago. I played an SEC championship game where I think the score was something very similar if it was not 17-14. to 14. So I, I'm here for that all day long. Yeah. Coach Munkin. I love you. You're my guy. But if it's a low scoring game, same thing. Denbrock, love you. But if it's a low scoring game, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Well, I, I think at the end of the day, though, going back to what we talked about, um, you didn't play your best. You didn't necessarily have your fastball, but you found a way to win in a tough yeah. situation. And I think that's what shows the difference between a really good team and a potential championship type program so congratulations to lsu for getting the win on the road when a lot of people didn't think they would i got to give you credit cd at sec media day you were one of the very few that couldn't jump off lsu like being a good football team yeah. a lot of people were trashing them and i'll give you credit because you called a lot of strays when you're like hey wait wait a minute like this is still lsu like they might not be the team that they've been in the past, but they still have enough talent. And when we'd have that conversation about who was behind Alabama and Georgia, I, 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 I say it all the time. I give you credit. I cite my work. I'm I like, Hey, CD, it. CD was behind LSU. He's like, I, I'm not saying they're going to, but don't, you know, don't be shocked if they can do it because of the talent but that, they have there. That's what made the opening game against Florida state. So surprising is that yeah, you knew they I had agree. talent, but they looked completely disorganized. They look completely undisciplined. And the reason I thought LSU was going to have a good season this year was because you have a guy that has a resume of getting everybody on track and, and being able to yeah. push in the same direction. I know that was an issue in the past with, you know, a locker room being a little bit divided, but you've seen it play out in front of our eyes. And I think that's maybe the most fun thing is that there are a lot of teams that get better in the off season. But to get better in the season the way that LSU has, yeah. to see it as a team, to see it as individuals like Jaden Daniels, that happening right before your eyes is a direct reflection of coaching. And um, now you're seeing the impact. Now you're seeing why, why Scott Woodward went out and got Brian Kelly in such a splash hire move in December. Yeah, and real quick, last note on LSU. It's Big Terp reminds us here, if Saturday was the only game Harold Perkins played all season, he would be top 10 in the SEC for the entire season in sacks and forced fumbles. What a day he had there in Fayetteville. Quickly hey, at Arkansas. Real, real quick, Go ahead. real quick. Let me ask you, concern at all about the seven sacks that Arkansas had? I mean, it was by far the Arkansas defense's best performance of the year. But are you concerned that, maybe an offensive line that we'd given a lot of credit to for getting better each week throughout the year now shows some signs of still having some, some youth and inexperience. It, it, it really was like against a, a three man rush. I mean, they weren't bringing a ton of guys when they would get to the pressure. Even if they brought guys that ended up only being four, I actually, I think Barry would have had a hell of a game plan because they played a lot of quarters it, they were, they, they played quarters. They had a three man rush a lot of times and they kind of had a double spy. Like, it looked like to me watching on tape, like Drew Sanders was the main spy. Bumper pull had zone coverage responsibilities, but also with an eye towards the quarterback. So that's one thing Barry Odom, he, he can do. Like, for one week, he can come up with a game plan. We've seen, we saw him do it against Mississippi State in the COVID year. Yeah. Like he can come up with a game plan. Now LSU has to know UAB, A&M, and certainly Georgia are going to try to replicate that same game plan. Now – if LSU wanted to, I think they could have turned around and ran the football 50 times and been successful, which they figured out late in the game. But I tipped my cap to Barry Odom. It was a nice game plan. And it wasn't like this crazy, we're bringing eight people playing yeah. cover zero. By, like they were just better than LSU that day in the game plan. I didn't like the uh, fourth down call. I, I, I didn't like the fourth down read. I like that they went with zone read, which has been their most successful play in short yardage goal line situations all year. But I'm, what, I'm not sure why Jaden Daniels didn't pull the ball in that instance. I don't know if you had a chance to go back and see, but like that's one that I have to imagine. Even as a selfish player, if it's 50-50, I'm taking it and putting the game yeah. in my hands. 
I think, I think he might've hit his head on the goalpost yeah. too, if he pulls that. Yeah. So I, yeah, it's the confidence that Jaden Daniels, I know we've gone long on LSU here, the confidence that was so good in, in the last three weeks, like you got to get that back quickly Yeah, because the Tennessee game, that was the one thing you wanted to see him know how good of a football player he was like in that situation, make it about you. It's okay. Be selfish in that yeah. moment because you're the best player on the field. At least you have been over the last month of the college football season. Yeah. Take charge of it. Grab the ball. Go run. Go find a way. And so I'm with you there. Yeah, I'd like to see if I'm an LSU fan. I'd like to see that confidence come back this week, and certainly against A&M in Georgia. Yeah. Not only do you see him maybe in that situation give it when he probably should have kept it, but throwing two interceptions and really bad interceptions after watching him throw 14 touchdowns and zero interceptions in the yeah. three previous games combined had me a little bit concerned as we we look forward to the last couple games of the season anything for arkansas here i know they've had a ton of injuries i know they've had a disappointing season because of everything that we thought they would be coming into this season because of the way that they've lost some of these games when they've really been the better team but the other team made the plays at arkansas couldn't uh you you make a change of quarterback there creates a spark but it still wasn't enough bad day offensively you wait till the fourth quarter to score a touchdown still playing hard uh still things i think you can build on still you know going to go to a bowl game at least i would be shocked if if they didn't obviously sitting there at five and five what do you take away from arkansas and what do you think maybe moving forward i was happy to see that they they played their best defensive game of the season. And I think it's been a shock all year long to see them at or near the bottom in a lot of major defensive categories. Their inability to tackle has been something that's been surprising with as attention to detail oriented Barry Odom is as a coordinator. Um, seeing them give up the type of yards they have in the passing game has been really surprising as well. Uh, but to, to, to keep LSU in check as much as they did, to have those seven sacks that we talked about, to be able to, to penetrate time and time again. That, that to me, shows that they, they played hard and that they responded to the coaching. Something, when things go negative, sometimes you lose. You know, Sometimes players stop responding to coaching, and it's nice to see that wasn't the, the case there in Fayetteville this week. All right, let's move on. Number one, Georgia 45, Mississippi State 19. I'm not going to be long here. Last call, I thought Mississippi State for a half, you saw a fight. You saw a great crowd. You just saw a team that had a bad matchup. It got away from them late. The game was closer than 45 to 19. But again, Mississippi State, we've talked about it. That's just Alabama, Georgia, teams like that. It's not a great matchup for the air raid. Defensively, they did some nice things. But again, the depth of Georgia and the talent of Georgia took over. And Georgia, yet again, looks like the number one team in the country. They've got guys that are stepping up, and they're stepping up at the right time of the season. They're they're finding some weapons at receiver. Uh, Stetson, a.k.a. Stetson Bennett, continues to be a player that's undervalued across the country. And it was a worksman-like uh, day. They went out there had their lunch bell like Georgia does and found a way to dominate what I think is a pretty good football team in Mississippi state. Yeah. I mentioned for LSU, not playing their best, but still finding a way to win. It's a different situation, but it's still the same resiliency for Georgia because you're playing pretty well in the first half. You get the ball right before halftime, whether you agree or not, you decide to be a little aggressive offensively. You throw the ball three, three straight downs. You end up having to punt the football rather than ending the half with the ball or an opportunity to score. And then your, your punt, punt team doesn't cover. They don't, they don't show discipline. Um, and they allow the returner to get to the outside and, and end up scoring a touchdown there. That could have been something that could have caused, you know, some, some turmoil in the locker room at halftime, maybe made Mississippi state believe that they could play with Georgia for the final 30 minutes of the game. But when Georgia got the ball back out of the halftime locker room, and I'm sure you've been around a lot of coaches. I remember Bill Cower talking about the importance of those first possessions in the second yeah. half, offensively and defensively. Georgia goes out, gets the ball, scores right away with a lad McConkey touchdown. Uh, they end up getting a stop three and out and get the ball right back and score a touchdown again, taking what was a very close game and turning it into one that was about to be a route. And that to me showed who Georgia was that they didn't necessarily get down and didn't didn't let that that adversity right before half 
uh, defined them and, and just did them, them did their thing and imposed their will on, on an opposing team in the beginning of the second. Yeah, and Georgia looks like they are heating up at the right time. McConkey just seems like he's like, I'll be the number one guy. Hey, you want me to be it? I'll do it. That's fine. Like which, which hadn't been the case. He's no. been very, very inconsistent this year. Dropped a ton of balls, has turned the football over, has had some errors in the punt return game. Like he has not had a good year, but to see him come back and decide that he was going to assert himself the way that he did against Tennessee a couple of weeks ago, the way that he did this past week against Mississippi State was good to see. Yeah, I think I think him stepping up could just be I would like to call a little lanyap here in Louisiana, him being the number one guy now. And if it's somebody else in a couple of weeks, that's fine. As long yeah. as you have someone do it. And he certainly has been it over the last couple of weeks. Hey, let's uh, let's turn to the Florida Gators. 38 to six. And how about Florida figuring some things out here down the stretch? A, a team that looks completely different, I think, than they did a couple of weeks ago, certainly at the you know, they had the, the Utah win. I don't want to take away from that. But after that's like, okay, the South Florida game, like wh- who is this Florida team? What's their identity? Over the last couple of weeks, I, I think you're starting to see a, you know, a, a game plan of a new coaching staff that is getting their message across to their team. Their team yeah. is accepting that message and they're going out there with that game plan, with that message and executing. Hess, I think they, I think they turned the corner. In all honesty, I think they turned the corner in the, the second half of that Georgia game. They were on the verge of getting blown out. They came back in the third quarter with a couple touchdowns, created some turnovers, got it within one possession, and it got away from them. But they carried over some of that success into the, the Texas A&M game. I thought the, the win over the Aggies on the road in College Station was their best, com- most complete game of the season. It was Anthony Richardson's best, most complete game of the season. They go into South Carolina and have another really good 30 minutes of football and beating South Carolina up from the jump. Let it get away a little bit. They didn't stay focused in the second half. Didn't keep the foot down on the pedal in the second half. But I saw a lot of really good things. I think Anthony Richardson and on the other side of the coin, the coaching staff figuring yeah. out how to use him to the, the best way they possibly can is starting to click. And defensively, getting rid of Brenton Cox. You know, it was, a, it was probably a difficult decision getting rid of your best pass rusher. But since that that point after the Georgia game, You've seen a lot of young guys step up and, and start creating pressure, forcing turnovers. You know, for Florida to, to, to pitch a shutout defensively, that six points that uh, South Carolina scored came on a special teams yeah. play like we typically expect from the <laughs> shocker. Yeah. But uh, they, they, they showed a, they, they pitched a shutout. They've been better on third down. I mean, you're seeing a lot of young guys get opportunities and taking the ball and running with it, which made, makes me really excited. And the fact that they have a chance to, to, to go four and oh, in November when I thought they'd be lucky to go two and two after the Georgia loss leads me to believe that there's a lot of really good stuff being built for the 2023 season right now. Yeah. You're going to be on the road against Vanderbilt. And I know Vanderbilt's probably got as much juice as they've had in a long time, but you're going to be fully expected to win that game. Then you go back on the road to Tallahassee to take on a really good Florida state team and CD. If you can find a way to roll off two victories in a row, be eight and four, beat a ranked Florida State team. You look up, your only losses would be to ranked football teams, Kentucky at the time, Tennessee, LSU, and Georgia. Eight and four, first year with some nice victories under your belt. I with, think that's a pretty big success with for With that Billy. schedule, too? I mean, that, that's yeah. the toughest schedule that I can remember Florida playing in a long yeah, time. Yeah, the Utah was number seven. Sorry. Yeah. I excluded uh, that one. Yeah, when you beat them, they were number seven in the yeah. country. I mean, I, I think it is a, a a testament to Billy Napier. You knew him better than I did when, when he was hired here. You spoke very highly of him. You were a fan of the hire. I think it's a good fit so far. But I really believe that the groundwork's been laid this year for a lot of coming success in 2023. And as a Florida alum, I'm all excited and, and here for all of it. Yeah. As far as South Carolina, I know we got to kind of quickly move here. It's just a team that it's been up and down. They're still six and four. I still would be excited about the direction of the program. If I'm a Gamecocks fan, I think Shane Beamer is literally the perfect coach for that job. They've got two incredibly difficult games to finish their season. You've got Tennessee at home, although I don't think it matters where you play Tennessee, that offense travels. Then you got to go on the road to take on number nine Clemson. Going to be difficult again. Not to say you can't win that game. Obviously, South Carolina, when you look at when they get up, they're a really good football team. They have a lot of exciting pieces to their team. 
But still, if you, even if you finish six and six, you're going to go to a bowl game. Shane Beamer, I think, is doing exactly what he needs to do to get this program back on track. I am not right now down on South Carolina football. Do you think they have to make a change offensively in terms of their 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 coaching staff? I mean, I love Marcus Satterfield. They they have not been very good on that side of the ball. And the hope that you had bringing in, you know, a quarterback that you know just a year before was the Heisman Trophy favorite, Spencer Rattler has. Yeah. He's probably not even in the top 10 of quarterbacks in the conference right now. The offensive line has not been very good. You've had a lot of really good skill players that have not shown a great level of support for Spencer Rattler either. The creativity has been there at times and disappeared at others. You were whipped on the lines of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Like there's yeah. real concern for me. And I think that four game winning streak that got them into the top 25 was a little bit of fool's gold given the teams that you played. They are to me not a very good football team right now. And they've got some, some tough decisions to make going. Would you agree though, that Shane's the, the, the guy, 100%. as far as being head man in charge, 100%. I love, I love Shane Beamer. I think he's a perfect fit for that culture, that school for that area of the country. I just think they they've got to continue to, to, to upgrade coaches, excuse me, upgrade players and figure out how to put their players in the best position they possibly can. Um, you know, one of the things that we we remarked about in in the the bowl season was the decision to go with Dakarian Joyner and utilizing him the way that they did. Dakarian Joyner has been a forgotten man for a lot of this season. Like, yeah, we spent a lot of time in Atlanta talking about him. Yeah, some point in time you gotta you gotta find a way to get the ball into your most explosive players' hands, and I don't think that they've done a great job of that this year, unfortunately. All right, let's go. Let's see how many more. You're taking Big Twelve's Auburn, job. Baby. I mean, Auburn, baby. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, he was over there sneezing. He was eating. I, I, I mean, when I first hopped on, before when I first hopped on to the Zoom, and so look, I'm just, I'm, I'm looking around. I'm trying to figure out which one I was letting Who him use his here? Kleenex. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Big Turb, what are we doing? Do your job. Do your job. Ate a bowl I just of soup. Let you. Blew my nose. I just wanted to defend <laughs> myself. These are yeah. very normal things. Yeah, um, we do need to go to Auburn. You're right. Let me take I mean, your job one more time. Yeah, I mean, they beat AM 13-10, two teams on five-game losing streaks, and it was one of the most electric environments we've seen so far. That was awesome. Hester, I'm going to ask the same question to you that I asked to Alyssa on SEC this morning, this week. Yeah. The celebration in Auburn on Saturday night looked like they clinched the SEC West. You had did. light shows. Coaches running around taking laps. You had fans staying 30 minutes after the game. Was this an appropriate celebration or a weird celebration to you? Oh man. It, uh, it was a little weird, not weird. I, it wasn't weird to me. I just, I, I didn't expect it. And it's, I'm excited because I love Cadillac. I think Cadillac is a, a great human being. I think he's a great football coach. He was a hell of a football player as well, but I, I didn't see that coming. And I'm like, what, what's going on here? Because just because, like Auburn is a place that plays for championships yeah. and Auburn is a place that has won six sec titles. I know they've played for six since 92, right? They've won sec titles, obviously since we've come into divisions and in the long history that they've had there. So for me, and I was glad Cadillac got to do that. And I thought Cole Keeler, by the way, did a fantastic yes, job did. there in the post game, but I was a little, I guess, surprised would be the word. I won't say weird, but I was surprised by how, they celebrated that victory. It was a little weird and I'm happy for them. And maybe it's a, maybe it's the old, you know, ding dong, the witch is dead. You know, we've moved on. You got one of your guys. They were always criticizing Harson for not being, you know, an sec guy or not being an Auburn guy. You got, you got Cadillac one of your own that's leading the way. I finally felt like for one brief moment in the history of recent Auburn football, you had everybody, rowing in the same direction. You had you had players excited. You had coaches excited. You had boosters excited. I don't know what they're going to do in the future. I don't know if there's enough excitement there to, to make Cadillac the permanent coach. You definitely got to find a way to keep him on the staff as an associate head coach. But for one night, it was pure joy there on the planes and, and probably a lot of pent-up joy with what they've had to face the last few years and what they've gone through this year and losing that five-game losing streak that they had endured yeah and and now like 
We don't know where they're going to go from here. There's a lot of rumors. It's what I would consider a top 10 job in the country, but it comes with baggage. It comes with extra. Does Cadillac have a chance? I mean, you think about a guy that would take on that role. Does Caddy have a chance to get the job? I hope he does. Just because I've been at a place at LSU covering that team where an interim coach was hired and he went out and won a national championship. Now, it wasn't for as long as a lot of people thought after 2019. Obviously, Coach O's gone after a year and a half. But I do think there is something to having pride about the program and caring about the program in a different manner than someone that's coming in that doesn't have ties to the program. Not to say it's the only recipe for success. We've seen that fail as well. Um, you know, Cadillac's never been a head coach at any other level, so I do understand that portion of it. I would talk to him, and whatever I do, whoever I bring in, if it's not Cadillac, Cadillac would be my first hire. Yeah. I can tell you that. After what I saw and the way he sold that program on Saturday. Well, you go back and look at his recruiting focus. I mean, he's been one of the top recruiters on that staff uh, for a couple of years so he knows how to sell the university obviously he does it from a first-hand perspective he can connect he's young he's energetic like finding a way i know a lot of coaches that you know get jobs don't necessarily like being mandated by athletic directors or athletic departments to hire certain people but i think this would be one that any any new coach would be happy to come in and 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 ex agree to any a mandate such as that let me ask you this about the Auburn job. Is there coaches that would stay away from it because of the way that recent coaches, I don't want to say have been treated because obviously you got to win games in the SEC, but with the Brian Harson stuff, come on, man, that, that was different. Like he, he was kind of told who, who he had to hire as offense and defense coordinator or strongly suggested. And then he, he's got a literal coup that he's got to deal with. And this yeah. season, it just it felt like he could do no right unless they won like 11 games. Would that – it is – with it being such a great job, and Jordan Hare is one of the best places to play in the conference, in the country, really. Would that – do you think that's going to keep some coaches out of the running because they don't want that? They don't want to deal with the extra that I talked about coming with that job? I think it, it depends on who we're talking about and the type of coach. Are you talking about a, a well-accomplished – you know, big name. You know, would somebody like Brian Kelly go take the Auburn job? I don't think so. But I think, you know, somebody that's maybe trying to get back into the SEC might take a job like that. Somebody that's an up and comer might take that job. Um, but I, I, I guess the, the, the one that kind of confuses me the most, and, you know, we're getting off on a tangent here, but it's interesting. And I think we'll both, you know, have, have a take on it is the Lane Kiffin. You, we, we heard rumors that Lane was the number one target. How likely do you think it would be for Lane Kiffin to leave a place like Ole Miss that's been pretty good to him, that he's been outspoken about what it's done for, for making him a better person and a better coach to go to a place like Auburn that has those dynamics that you talked about? So, the, like, the question with Lane is, like, has he hit the ceiling at Ole Miss? And I actually think that's false. I think it's a false narrative because he was the first coach to win 10 games in a regular season. He might do it again this year. To me, there's nothing to say that he can't get that program to a place it's never been. Yeah. And I know there's SEC talk shows across the Southeast that are like, here's how many championships Auburn's been to. Here's how many Ole Miss has been to since 92, which that number zero. But look, they were fourth and 25 away from going not that long ago yeah. and Hugh freeze kind of took it to a place where who knows if he was still there, where it would be like, also like we, we always talk about being competitive and having a competitive nature. Like for me, maybe I'm a little bit too much of a meathead. I'd love the challenge of being the guy that brought Ole Miss to a, a place that they've never been before. Now, when you look at how valuable the programs are, and this was put out there by two, four, seven sports, I think it was earlier this year in the top 25, Auburn comes in at number 10, a little bit over a hundred millions, a hundred million dollars that they make each and every season. Ole Miss was 24th with 84 million per season. They're not that far away. Yeah. I mean, I know there's a difference in 10 and 24, but like, there's nothing to say that Lane can't be like, you know what? I've got the support of every single person here. Everybody on this campus loves me. I'm doing things in the transfer portal that nobody else is really doing. Can I compete in high school recruiting with Auburn? No, I can't. Can I compete in resources? No, I can't. Do I have Jordan Hare? No, I don't. But I'm still winning more games than they're winning. I'm finding a way. 
And you could say, well, what, what, what could he do at Auburn? I don't know. But I know what he can do at Ole Miss, which is yeah. win 10 games and be competitive and play a game against Alabama where it comes down to the last play of the game. And, you know, you have a chance to maybe play for the SEC West if you win that game because LSU didn't clinch until you lost. And who knows what happens with LSU and A&M. So, like, even within this season, they were not that far off of playing in Atlanta. So that could be a mindset as well that nobody's really talking about. Yeah. Rank these, rank the likelihood of, of these coaches being the next head coach at Auburn. All right. Hugh Freeze, okay. Lane Kiffin, Deion Sanders, Cadillac Williams. Oof. All right. Uh, I think I would go. I think I still think Lane might be the top just because of all the noise around it. So I think it would be Lane. Cadillac, Hugh, Dion. Okay. If I, I gave you those, order. gave you those four or the field, do you take those four? I take those four. I take one of those four. I don't think they're going to go Jamie Chadwell at Coastal. I, I think they've tried offensive coaches from Group of Five schools that have had a lot of success and didn't work out for them. Yeah. And right, wrong, or indifferent, ads and general managers, uh, general managers and team presidents in the NFL, they typically go away from what the last hire was that didn't work. So, and, and the Deion Sanders portion of it too, like also, I know he said that he, he'd listen. He might be happy at Jackson State. He might be doing something for the HBCU that, that means something more to him than going to a big place. Yeah. I mean, look at where he's taking that program. We got yeah. Eddie George coaching Tennessee State. You got Hugh Jackson coaching Grambling. Like that might be something they're passionate about. So, like, it's always tough in these conversations because how much does that coach want to leave his current situation? Hugh Freeze makes $5 million a year at Liberty. Yeah. They're about to go to Conference USA. They're independent right now. So their schedule is only going to get easier. He could have a 10-year run where he wins eight Conference USA championships. Like, so, like, how much did, do they desire that job? Of, of all the four guys you gave me, I know one desires it, Cadillac Williams. Yeah. Outside of that, I don't really know. Yeah, tough to tell. Tough to tell. We move, let's move on. I'm sorry we've uh, gone deep on these big terp. No, man, you're good. Hey, um, well, I mean, look, the, the pre-gaming portion of this, as Big Terp said, I mean, we're not – if, if you're an Alabama fan and you came to this podcast waiting for the Austin P. Alabama breakdown, got some bad news for you. <laughs> yeah, you guys went long, so we're going to have to cut out the analysis on uh, UMass A&M, who are a combined nah. – what are they, four and 16 combined. Yeah, we'll skip that. Um, why don't we start with Georgia, Kentucky, the game that, like you said, we thought mm. could decide the SEC. Mwah, mwah. It's not going to, but is there a formula for Kentucky to make this close or even shock the world? 22 it, and a half underdogs. It was somewhat close last year. Wasn't it Hester? I mean, the game was Maybe in Athens. A, a large portion. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think if you go back and remember, I, I want to say the time of possession was really skewed towards Kentucky. They were able to hold the ball for a lot of that game and, kind of limit what Georgia was able to do from a, a point scoring standpoint. I don't know if they can do the same thing. The offensive line is going to be the real detriment to, you know, what Georgia's going to present defensively. I don't, I don't know if they can hold up. Uh, Will Levis has been hit a ton this year. I'm not sure they're going to be able to run the ball very successfully. Maybe they're able to, to, to create some turnovers and stay in the ball game, but I, I don't see this one being close. And this is coming from a guy that again, back in July, in Atlanta at SEC media days, they selected Georgia to be upset by Kentucky on November 19th. Now, you know, I'd be surprised if it was a three touchdown yeah. game, to be honest. I mean, look, Bobby Carpenter and I, if this game played out the way we thought the season was going to play out, we were going to do off campus from Lexington. Oh. We were going to actually on our own dime. I was going to oh. fly up to Lexington. Bobby was going to drive down from Columbus and we were going to do the show like we had already talked with Slacks, like we were going to get it done. And uh, even if they had, even if it was like an eight and two Kentucky team, we were yeah. going to do it. So like last week was the straight dagger in the trip this week coming yeah. up. Yeah, no, it's a uh, disappointment because I thought, you know, this is a program, this is a fan base that's ready for a big game at home against the Georgia. They, you, you witnessed it last year, back to back weekends, Florida and LSU coming to town. Yeah, it was as electric electric as any place oh, in the conference so was last year. It was my and, favorite. It was my favorite game to cover that I've done probably since I've been doing this since 2014. I yeah. mean, it was a, an electric atmosphere because your home stadium. You've seen it so many times. 
So like to go to a away game to see what that fan base had created. I told you the basketball team came out like at halftime and they were honoring them for, you know, whatever I'm sure award Kentucky basketball won that year. I don't remember, but it was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And then the football team came back on and the, yep. the place went just crazy. Yep. And like that at that place, that doesn't typically happen. So yeah. Um, gosh, big leaps backwards. And I trust Mark Stoops to be able to get it going back in the right direction and to do it quickly, but very disappointing that Kentucky is sitting there at six and four in that game. I fully expect Georgia to go to Lexington, control the narrative and win the game. I don't know if they cover 22 and a half, but Georgia's Georgia and Kentucky's taking a couple steps back. All right. <clears throat> Night game in Williams, Bryce. Uh, we've been talking this week about how Tennessee can get in who they need to lose. None of that matters. If, if South Carolina pulls off this, what, 20, 21 and a half point upset. Can they do it? Dude, give, hey, here's the deal. Put me on the books right now for one of my best bets being Tennessee. I'm going to buy the hook, obviously. I'm not an idiot, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Tennessee right now. This, this South Carolina team, we mentioned it earlier, it, it's not a good team. Has, it, it's, it, they don't have the ability to score with Tennessee. I wouldn't be surprised to see Tennessee put up another you know, 66 point output. Uh, I think they, they're playing right now for attention. They don't control their, their own destiny with the inability to go to Atlanta. They've got to put up style points. They've got to look dominant. I think they're on a mission right now. And this is a mismatch in terms of uh, where, where Tennessee is and, and where South Carolina's program is right now. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, I'm not ready to fully declare it a best bet because of that hook. We'll see what that hook ends up doing. Maybe by the time I give Big Turk my bets tomorrow. But look, the orange lids, by the way, uh, fantastic. Yeah. I am all about that orange lid. That That is a uniform concept. They've done some nice things with their uniforms this year, and they're going to go out there, and South Carolina is a team that you know they're going to fight, but it's not going to be enough. Tennessee rolls uh, the Gamecocks in this one. I'm probably still going to bet the 21 and a half. I might not even need the hook there. So Tennessee, I mean, they're they're they they are a team that is a deserving playoff team right now. I know that it's not played itself out yet. It will with yeah. Michigan and Ohio State, but this is one of the four best teams in the country, and they're going to show it on Saturday. After how uh, LSU three and a half affected best bets last week, I would say take the hook, Hess, because <laughs> unfortunately both of you guys were on three and a half. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Um, all right, so last week, Vandy, first SEC win since 2019. Last week, Florida, first back-to-back SEC wins since December 2020. Gators come in as a 14-point favorite on the road in Nashville here. Who builds on that? Hess, all right, I'm going to take this because, you know, playing in the SEC East – I experienced what it's like to play at, at, at uh, is it, is it, is it Commodore stadium? What was it? What is the name of that stadium? Is it, I think it's Commodore stadium. Uh, First bank stadium, sir. They oh, just no. sold naming yeah. rights now. <laughs> All, right. All right. So here it is. Has, they have the best home field advantage in the entire conference because you go there and there's zero energy. There's no yeah. fans in the stands. You're getting dressed in a tiny locker room. More times than not, you're room. playing at 11 in the morning. This week, it's going to be 30 degrees when they kick it off. A bunch of Florida boys running up. I'm actually tempted to take the points. I, I'm not ready to commit to that at this point. But, like, if there was ever a game to kind of slodge through if you're if you're Florida, this could be the one. And I, I they're going to have to find a way to bring their own juice, something that mature teams were able to do. I'm not sure that this team is is mature enough to do it. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a, a, a nasty game. It's gonna be a dirty, ugly game, and I, I I think Florida will win, but I don't think it'll be easy by any means. I agree with you. I think Florida wins. I think they probably win seven to ten range. I don't know about the fourteen. It's going to be a game in which you probably scratch your head a couple of times, like wait a minute, how can you not make that play against Vanderbilt? But Vanderbilt's going to play inspired football because they do get the juice. From Kentucky, Florida, probably not because of all the things that you just said there, but I think Florida's talent and Billy Napier, knowing Billy like I do, he'll have his team as ready to play as he possibly can. I know Rob Sell, that offensive coordinator there, same situation. So they'll do everything they can. The players, probably after about a quarter and a half, they'll buy into what they're selling. Florida wins in an ugly game, but a win is a win is a win. It continues you know, the opportunity for Florida to be eight and four, which a lot of us didn't think would be possible hey, there. I'll tell you this. You know, I, I heard Coach Napier talk about it the other day. 
you know, when he came on our show on Monday, he mentioned the fact that this was going to be an early game and be an early game for, for, uh, for Vandy. When Florida went there back in the day, he would, we would keep our clocks the same. I know you're a big, you know, proponent of central time and that you think it's It's God's God's time. time. I know, I I know, I know you, (laughs) but the, uh, the, the way we kept our clocks on on Eastern time and his famous saying was, ah, we're going to be playing at noon. They're going to be playing at 11 AM. So it was always, he thought it was an advantage (laughs) Uh, mentally. Maybe it was, I'm not so sure, but uh, it was, uh, it's, it's definitely an interesting trip when you go to Vanderbilt to play. (laughs) Yes. Oh, that's great. All right, Big Terry, which game we got next? All right, last one, SEC West battle. Ole Miss going for win number nine on the road in Fayetteville. Ole Miss two-and-a-half-point favorite here. What are we thinking? Ooh, I love that number for Ole Miss. Go ahead and mark that down. Are you? Are taking it? I, I think I'm taking it. I think I like it. Um, Barry Odom came up, as I mentioned, with a hell of a game plan for LSU. But Ole Miss, I don't think this is a team that will come in and be down about last week. I think they'll be pissed off about last week, and I expect Lane to be pissed off because he looked like he was at the podium. He's coming up with something this week that he hasn't really shown maybe. Maybe a couple of different run concepts, whatever it might be. I think Ole Miss comes into this game mad, angry, wanting to potentially still play for maybe even like a New Year's Six Bowl game. I know LSU kind of stands in their way because Georgia, Tennessee, LSU all in front of them, Alabama as well. But you still have a lot to play for. You're number 14 team in the country. You're going for 10 wins for the second time in a row, only the second time in school history, as we've talked about. So I like Ole Miss in this one, given given where Arkansas's at and given where Ole Miss can still go. I like Ole Miss minus two and a half. I'll say this Barry Odom's number one task, and, and this is not a bold statement because this is what Ole Miss does really, really well. And it's every defensive coordinator's number one goal is stopping the run. But if you can force Ole Miss to have to throw the football, like I went back and watched this. I don't know if you had a chance to watch that tape, but they, they're not very good in the passing game. The, the most productive play for them was a back shoulder throw to Malik Heath. Like they, they hit that yeah. probably five or six times. And it, it, there wasn't a whole lot else they had going on. There were some opportunities there. The offensive line was not very good. They did not handle the twists at all that Alabama threw at them. So I, I just, if there's any chance at all that, that Barry Odom can take the run away and force Jackson Dart to try to beat you throwing the football, I think that's the recipe for upsetting the Rebels. I just don't know if they'll have that success against the run that few teams have had defensively. Ooh, do you think... What do you think Arkansas does at quarterback in this game? Uh, I think KJ's back. I think KJ's getting healthy. I think they need KJ. I mean, you know, as, as athletic as Malik Hornsby is, KJ is just the heart and soul of that team. Yeah, I mean, problem- Hornsby didn't even finish the game against LSU. They they True. needed something different. True. Yeah. Um, I'll say I'll say this though, like having KJ out there just to have him out there the way that evidently Arkansas did against Liberty. Is right. also not a great option. Yeah, he, he he could not be anywhere near the version of KJ that we've we've come to expect when he's healthy. All right, real quick, any of the other teams that are playing that you could see maybe stumbling in their game? You've got LSU, UAB, Missouri, New Mexico State. You want me to be? You want me to give you? Here's the deal. You want to be really bummed out after last week? Let Western Kentucky come in and beat all. That was that was kind of going to be my choice. That, that they're they're only like a five point favorite, I think. In that five game. and a half, yeah, five and a half. That's going to be a dangerous game, and uh, I think we're all Cadillac Williams fans. But if he has any chance of getting that job permanently, they better come out, play focused, and and have that same yeah. level of energy they had on Saturday night against Texas A and M. I'm with you there, and complete agreements there as far as a team that could be on upset watch just because Western Kentucky, I think is actually a pretty good football team as well. I think UAB coming into the season might've been a talking point there, but they've struggled to a five and five record. All right, big Terp, let's go ahead. I don't think it went our way. Best bets. What do we got? Yeah. Gambling gods were unfair last week. Uh, We've come in hot 14 and five in the previous three weeks. Um, 33, 30, and two on the season. Hess starts off hitting Georgia minus 16 and a half. Missed out on the Tennessee, Missouri under, like we said before. (laughs) Bad. Yep. Uh, and then LSU minus three and a half, the hook. 
Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So one and two on the week. Uh, that puts you at 18, 15, and one on the season. CD hit Tennessee minus 19 and a half. He had the play in that game. No under, no totals, just Tennessee cover that thing. And they did. No. It was hey, looking iffy. But- that, was, that was the noon kick, too. Like, you start off with a win. I'm thinking, all right, I'm going 3-0, and getting back on track. <laughs> Things are looking up for me here. Well, I mean, yeah. and you, you got 19 and a half. Third quarter, they're up four. Yeah, it's looking yeah. iffy. Thirty-eight straight points, never a doubt. Yeah. Um, Ole Miss, Alabama, over sixty-five, no go there. And then the same three and a half done in by the hook in the LSU game. So what was a two and four week was a half point on each side away from yeah. being a four and two week. That's just unfair. But that puts Doring at seventeen, nineteen and one. Hess eighteen, fifteen and one as a total, thirty-five, thirty-four and two. Okay. Hey, yes, and two, let's be honest. In real life, we're all buying the hook there. And there's no way. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that we note that going forward. I'm not getting hooked <laughs> again. I am not. I'm, I refuse to get hooked the rest of the season. Yeah. I'm going alternate spread and I'm buying that hook or I'm just buying the hook outright. I, I mean, if it's like a four, I might even bet that thing down to yes. three because yeah, I've been burned by that too many times, but it's okay. We are still more wins than we have losses. I'll take that. Yep. I appreciate you lumping. It. I'm dragging the two of us down. I appreciate you not differentiating and uh, and riding with your boy here. We got two weeks of the regular season to go. Time to make a move. It, it is Saturday. Or we've we've got our our moving day outfits on, and we're ready to uh, ready to push this thing into the the the, the higher positive territory. Yep. All right, that's going to do it for week twelve of pre gaming DSCC. Remember, you can always listen, Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. You can watch us on our YouTube channel. Just Search pregaming the SEC. You can find us there on social media, the handle at pregaming the SEC, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks to Walk On Sports Bistro. Again, walk ons.com to find that location that is nearest to you. We'll be back next week, week 13, rivalry week. Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mizzou, Florida, Florida State, the Iron Bowl, Georgia Tech, Georgia, South Carolina, Clemson, Louisville, Kentucky, LSU, and AM. And then if you want to consider this a rival, Tennessee and Vanderbilt next week, <laughs> it is going to be a banger. We can promise you that we will see you then for that episode of pre-gaming the SEC.